You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's 2-0 victory over Newcastle United at Emirates Stadium. The Gunners remain fifth and cannot be dislodged from fifth uh, over this weekend, regardless of what happens elsewhere. So lots and lots to be happy about, to be positive about. There are elements of the performance that we will uh, talk about, you know, positive and, and maybe negative at times as well. We'll cover all the bases as we always try to do here. Um, so yeah, really, really looking forward to get in, getting into this one. Now I have to put out a little bit of a disclaimer. So I'm using my new camera and I literally just received the connection to plug it in basically and make it work. So I'm using a proper camera, although the settings might not be great at the moment. Um, but I am trying to upgrade everything. I have been trying to upgrade everything over the last week or so. I just received the cam link that I needed. I've just plugged it in, but there is a chance that the camera might run out of battery and I'll have to switch back to the laptop camera. So if you see a sudden change in picture, uh, I just wanted to let you guys know in advance so that you're not all killing me for it in the comments. Uh, if you are listening via the audio platforms, big hello to you. And in which case you can ignore what I just said because you won't give a shit because it won't impact you in any way, shape or form. But what you guys can do is you can leave us a review on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. That really really does help. Now, before we dive into it, I just want to uh, quickly remind you that you can enter our giveaway in which we will be giving two of our lucky listeners an Arsenal shirt from this season of their choice. We're celebrating the Chronicles of Aguna's birthday in, uh, I think they're January. So uh, we want to give away a couple of shirts. So in order to enter the competition, you can Head over to our Twitter, find us at Chronicles underscore AFC and enter yourself uh, into the draw by following the instructions in our pinned tweet. Alternatively, if you don't have Twitter, then, of course, you can email us chroniclesafc at gmail.com. And lots of you have already done that. And I promise you, I have received your emails and you are going into the draw. I haven't replied to them yet just because I haven't had a chance. But uh, I can assure you, you have all been entered into the draw. I am still wearing a snood because it was so bloody cold today at the Emirates Stadium. I've only just in the last 20 minutes been able to feel my feet again. Um, I came straight home, jumped on a live commentary, Brighton Leeds United and typical as my luck always goes. It was a nil nil draw. Uh, but anyway, just done. I uh, thought I'd get this podcast out to you guys ASAP and then I'll be settling down to have my Saturday evening dinner. Hopefully the kids have gone to bed by then and I don't have to do nothing when I go in the house. But anyway, here we go. Let's uh, let's uh, dig into the performance. And let's start off, first of all, actually, with Mikel Arteta's team selection. Now, I talked in the build-up to the game about Nuno Tavares and the fact that I would have preferred to see him stay in the team. I thought it was the right thing to do. I thought it sent the completely wrong message to Nuno Tavares if we were to have dropped him. Uh, following his performance the other day, because I don't think he was bad. Um, 
for large periods of the game. As I say, he made that mistake, which obviously cost us. And then I think he lost his head a bit after that. But for the most part, Nuno Tavares was pretty good uh, at Anfield. He was comfortable when everybody else was comfortable. He he made a cock up when it mattered. And, and unfortunately, that led to us sort of falling apart. But as I said in the preview show to today's game, what I didn't want to see is him punished for one mistake and then all the good things he'd done over the last kind of couple of months just be forgotten and pushed to the wayside. And I talked about the fact that we have a couple of away games coming up. You know, we travel, of course, first to Old Trafford on Thursday and then we take on Everton at Goodison Park. So my thinking was actually leave Nuno in the team. This is a game in which he probably won't have to do all that much defending. Um you know, he'll probably spend the majority of the game going forward, which is what he likes to do, is what you what you would say is his strong point. I think it helps his confidence if you leave him in the team after what happened at Anfield. And I think if you, you know, if you get through this game today, as we did, with a clean sheet, with Nuno Tavares, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people would disagree with this, being the man of the match, then it only does good. It only does good for everybody. So... Um, that was why I wanted to see him in the team. And lo and behold, Mikel Arteta agreed with me. We had a word on Friday. Uh, no, Mikel Arteta decided to make that decision. I think it was the right decision. In midfield, I'd have probably uh, shaken it up a little bit. I think I would have played Maitland-Niles. I said in my instant reaction video from Emirates Stadium that I felt that the midfield were a little bit underwhelming at times. And I don't mean underwhelming in the sense of them being like, not, uh, you know, like I don't mean them being bad. But I didn't feel that they were as controlling in possession as they probably could have been at certain points. And when Arsenal took the lead at 2-0, I wanted to see them then start pinging the passes about a little bit more. And I felt like we were just playing it a little bit safe. Um, you know, that's fine. You're 2-0 up. And, and I understand that Mikel Arteta is a lot more of a pragmatist than previous Arsenal managers. And, and we're just going to have to get used to that. But I, I felt like... Partey especially could have done more today. I felt like he needed to impose himself a little bit more. I thought his performance at Liverpool was questionable. And for the most part, we've kind of put it down to a lack of fitness when actually I'm, I'm starting to say that, no, that may, maybe this is unfair, but I'm starting to feel like we give Thomas Partey a free ride at times in the sense of when he doesn't play well, we put it down to fitness. When he plays well, we wax lyrical about it and we allow him to kind of live off it for a while. But today I wanted to see more from Thomas Partey. Today I wanted to see him really control the game against Newcastle United. And I didn't feel he did that. I thought he gave the ball away sloppily on a few occasions. I actually thought he was second best when it came to Arsenal's midfield pair today of him and Sambi Lokonga. And I don't. Want, it's not that I don't want to see that. It's not that I don't want to see Sambi playing well. But Thomas Partey is the senior guy. Thomas Partey is the one. Thomas Partey is the guy who is supposed to be an ever-present in his team and part of our spine. And I just want to see a little bit more from him. And again, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he looks so unfit against Liverpool. But going to Old Trafford on Thursday night, Thomas, we need you. And we need you to be at a much higher level than he was at Liverpool. And then again um, today, because I felt like today he was... A little bit casual at times, a little bit slow across the ground, a little bit sloppy in his passing. And, and you can get away with that against Newcastle United, but you won't get away with that 
against the very best teams. And I know Manchester United have been through a rough patch and there's been all this stuff going on in the background. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer sacked and the appointment of Ralph Ranić, which is imminent. Um, you know, all of that is happening at United and what that probably will bring is a bit of a new manager bounce, a bit of enthusiasm, a bit of a buzz around the place. And, and you know, it doesn't mean that with Ralph Ranić coming in or, or with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer departing that all of a sudden they've become the best team in the world. But they're still a very good side. They always have been a very good side in terms of the talent that they have at their disposal. And you do feel like if Arsenal are going to go to Old Trafford and win, or maybe take away a point, we need to be very close to our best. And Thomas Partey at the moment is not performing at that level. So it is a bit of a worry for me. It is a little bit of a concern. Not writing the guy off. Um, you know, we've seen enough from him in the past to suggest that he's a transformational player in the sense of when he's at the top of his game, Arsenal are at the top of their game. He brings so much to the table when, you know, when when he's at full tilt, but he hasn't been at full tilt uh, in the last couple of fixtures now. And it's a, a bit of a worry for me. Not a massive concern just yet, but it is something that I'm keeping a close eye on. And, and as I say, I thought he was second best of our, of our midfield duo today. I thought that Sambi Lakonga looked better in possession, was more progressive in the passes that he decided to play, um, carried the ball quite well on a couple of occasions, was a little bit more disciplined from a defensive aspect. And, and I thought was very aware, considering that he was playing on the left side a lot of the time of that duo. And we know that Nuno Tavares is someone who likes to bomb on and likes to vacate certain places. So to to play in that role, you have to be very aware of what's around you. And I thought actually um, that that Sambi Lakonga did that very, very well. In the first half of the game today, I thought we were um, OK. I, I don't think we were great. I, I think we were OK. You know, it was one of those where you were kind of sitting there screaming out for Arsenal to just move the ball that little bit quicker. I mean, I tweeted it at half time. You know, you can sit there and you can talk about tactics, this and tactics, that. And this is not happening or that's not happening. Ultimately, you can make the world of difference against sides that come to the Emirates Stadium and play with a low block. If you just move the ball that little bit quicker, if you just shift the ball from left to right, um, with a bit more zip, with a bit more tempo and you're pulling people out of position and you're creating holes and gaps and exposing spaces as a consequence of dragging people out of position. So for me, yeah, you know, it it wasn't great in the first half. You know, all of that would have been forgotten if Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang put away that chance in the first period. It was a really, really good opportunity. Can't believe he missed it, to be honest. Um, you know, Smith Rowe forced the save out of the Bravka. And when it came to Aubameyang, you thought certain goal, somehow he's hit the post. I think another pivotal moment, though, in that first period was the save that Aaron Ramsdale made from John Joe Shelby. He made a few saves today, Aaron Ramsdale, a few smart saves, a few key saves at key moments that just prevented Newcastle United getting ahead of themselves, getting confident, get sort of building any momentum. So I have to give you know, Aaron Ramsdale praise, but that save from Shelby in particular came at a really, really important moment, I felt, because Newcastle had offered very little. And what I hate is when we, you know, end up almost surrendering goals and, and giving opportunities to teams that have offered very little. I don't think that the approach that they took, which is a real kind of defensive one and an unambitious one, deserves rewarding. And I think what happens a lot of the time or what happened a lot of the time in the past was Arsenal would control games of football, 
have all of the possession, struggle sometimes to break people down, but then give away a cheap goal that then meant you already had a difficult task trying to break down a low block. And now you've got to break down, a, not a low block once, but twice because you need to come from behind and win the game. And I think what we're seeing in this Arsenal side now, when you look at Ramsdale, you look at Gabriel White, um, you know, Tommy Asu, the left back, whoever that might be. And, and we'll come on to talk about them individually in a moment. But what you see is a defensive line that you trust and a defensive line that I look at now. And I feel like even if we don't have um, a great time going forward, i.e. we don't carve out a lot of chances and we're not constantly knocking on the door, I feel more confident now than ever that we won't do something stupid that will ultimately see us uh, pay the price. So that's a, a big difference in this Arsenal side. And when people talk to me that are maybe uh, of a different view on Mikel Arteta to myself, when people say, uh, you know, I'm not sure he's the right man or I don't really like what he's doing or I can't see the progress. The thing that I'll always push back on is we have a defence now that most of the time against most teams we can trust in. And I think that's really, really important because what that means is you don't always have to be at your brilliant best to win games of football. You know, we played against Watford a few weeks ago. We weren't anywhere near our brilliant best, but we were efficient. You know, we in a defensive aspect, I mean, in terms of not giving away too much, not allowing them much of a sniff. And then all you need is one, sometimes two moments at the other end. And that's it. That's, you know, that's your lot. So for me, it's really imperative that in these games, especially against the sides who we are going to, or we are expected to beat, but we know we're going to face low blocks against. It's really important that we don't give anything away cheaply because then that means we only need one or two opportunities of a high caliber and or, or of a high, you know, class, if you like. And we can find ourselves winning these games of football. I mean, were Arsenal amazing today? No, but did you ever feel like we were going to concede? I didn't. You know, the only kind of heart in my mouth moment was the um, the penalty appeal that Newcastle had just before Gabriel Martinelli's goal. But we'll come on to talk about that in a moment. I thought that Ben White and Gabriel were very good again, very assured. I thought Ben White was probably better than Gabriel today. I think Gabriel had a couple of difficult moments against Callum Wilson, who's a wonderful striker, so it's not a massive surprise. But Callum Wilson, I think, matched him physically, like in terms of upper body strength, in terms of barging into him and, and really putting him off balance. And I didn't really expect that, if I'm being completely honest. I always felt like Gabriel could cope with those sort of things. I always felt like Gabriel was really well equipped for that type of striker. But actually, you've got to give credit, I think, to Callum Wilson for, for his part in, in making it at times, an uncomfortable afternoon for Gabriel. For the most part, he did well, but I thought Ben White just looked a lot more assured today. He was bringing the ball out from the back line, and although he wasn't always penetrating and wasn't always breaking lines, I felt in the first half, he did brilliantly uh, to try and force the issue for us at times when we were a little bit stale and we didn't really know where to move the ball, whether it be left or right, or we didn't really understand what it was we were trying to do. Um or didn't really have a plan, I guess, in terms of how we were going to go about breaking this team down. But um, Ben White took it upon himself to step into the midfield, took it upon himself to try and make something happen. And I, and I really like that because I think 
one of the big things we we bought Ben White for is exactly that, right? We didn't buy Ben White because he's the most solid of defenders. If that was what you were looking for, you go and bring someone else in. I'm not saying Ben White is a bad defender, but he isn't, you know, what's great about Ben White, if you think about what his top qualities are, the first things that will come to your mind are not necessarily his physicality, not necessarily his pace, not necessarily his aerial ability. But what comes to my mind is his competence on the ball, his ability to bring the ball out of the defence, his ability to play passes in between the lines, his calmness, you know, all of those things. We know what they are, um, you know, and, and we know that's why we bought him. We know that's what we bought him for. So, you know, for me to see him doing what it is we bought him for is obviously very reassuring that in doing that bit of business, which was a bit of business that a lot of people kind of raised an eyebrow about when it happened because of the price, actually we're getting what we wanted out of him. You know, we're getting what we wanted out of that centre-back partnership. We've got one who's a lot more physical, a lot quicker across the ground, a lot more aggressive in the way he defends. And we've got one who's a bit calmer, who's a bit cooler, who's more competent on the ball, who's more willing to carry the ball into certain areas. And and for me, I, I think that you're getting a, a good balance between those two at the moment. I think Takahiro Tomiyasu today was was fantastic at right back. In the first half, I remember saying to my mate who I was sitting next to, because I was sitting up in the uh, prawn sandwich section today, I was saying to my mate that I wanted to see a little bit more from Tomiyasu in the attacking third. I felt like in the first half, we were trying to create down that right-hand side. We were getting the ball out to Bukayo Saka and you never really felt like Takahiro Tomiyasu could get forward and give him enough in an attacking sense. Not because he doesn't have the stamina to get forward, but because when he gets into those positions, sometimes the delivery is not great. Sometimes he's a little bit rash in his decision-making. Uh, but he had a few moments today in, in the second half in particular where he really showed that side of his game and I was pleased to see that. You know, when you call out something in the first half, you know, you're as a fan, the kind of dream scenario is to then see that improved upon in the next half. And you have to say Tommy Asu did that and he played a wonderful ball for Gabriel Martinelli to score that second goal. So, yeah, um, pleased with his performance. I know a lot of you, when I tweeted out earlier on that uh, I had Nuno Tavares as my man of the match, a lot of you replied and said, uh, that you'd go with Takira Tomiyasu. And I'll tell you what, I, I slightly disagree. And I'll give you the reasons why Nuno was my man in the match in a minute. But I don't begrudge you picking Tomiyasu. Like if someone said to me, it has to be Tomiyasu, I can accept that because he was that good. Not just going forward, but defensively as well. You know, he's very assured in that position. He, in a lot of ways, allows Ben White to do a lot of the things that I was talking about because of his... Uh, ability to sense danger because of his ability to drop back into certain areas and make sure that, um, you know, we're not leaving those areas exposed because of the awareness he shows. And there was one moment where in the first half, when Newcastle played a ball down the left-hand side and it was in towards Alan Saint-Maximan, who we all know is rapid across the ground. And Takahiro Tomiyasu doesn't have the pace to keep up with Saint-Maximan, but what he did was he just glanced over had a look at where he was, made sure he put his body in the right position, made sure that he got in a place where if St. Maximum was going to get to the ball, he was going to have to go through him. And in the end, St. Maximum backed off and he played the ball back to Aaron Ramsdale. So what I liked about that was 
This is a guy who doesn't just rely on his pace and physicality. He relies on his reading and understanding of the game. And when we talked to uh, a couple of people, actually, in the in the lead up to his signing, talked to um, Lee Scott of Total Football Analysis, and we talked to uh, a couple of Italian uh, writers at work where, where we were doing some written pieces on him, it was... Um, you know, it was brought to my attention or it was made clear that one of his biggest strengths is his ability to read the game. So, yeah, um, you know, really enjoyed his performance. Nuno Tavares on the other side, my man of the match. Um, and here are the reasons why. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that came away from that first half, especially going, he's so bloody wasteful on the ball. And why does he keep taking pot shots from ridiculous places? I would say this. I don't mind players taking on shots when we are struggling to break a team down. I mean, how often did we used to say under Arsene Wenger, we're passing it left, we're passing it right, we're struggling to break people down. The whole reason that the crowd in the Emirates Stadium goes, shoot, every time someone gets the ball in and around the penalty area is because we've seen a lack of it in recent seasons. And now we've got a player who's quite willing and quite happy to do it. I don't think we should shoot him down for it. Could he have made better decisions at certain times and could he have potentially played other people in? Absolutely. And it's not a positive, but the mindset and the confidence that Nuno Tavares has is something that I think we need more of. You know, I talked about him being included in the side today. I know that Mikel Arteta did what I said I would do. And I know that that was the right thing, in my opinion, in terms of making sure we didn't kill him confidence wise. But what was most impressive about it all was was not Nuno Tavares um, being in the side, not the decision from Mikel Arteta, but the fact that the player then took to the field and it was as though Anfield last week never happened. It was as though Anfield was a, a complete anomaly. Um, he'd completely wiped it out of his mind and he showed a real confidence. And that was further evidenced by those decisions to take flipping pot shots from God knows where on the pitch. In the second half, he was much better, um, you know, galloped forward with regularity, um, varied it up in terms of going on the outside at times, going on the inside at times. And that's what I really like about Nuno, that maybe Tierney doesn't necessarily bring you. Um, played a massive part in the opening goal, did a brilliant bit uh, where the ball came into his feet and he spun and released Bukayo Saka. Excellent football and uh, Bukayo Saka put the ball away brilliantly. But I just thought that Nuno Tavares, when you when you think of all things, or you think of the big situation, uh, the bigger kind of picture, I think you've got to take into account, first of all, what happened at Anfield and the way he responded to that. I think you've got to take into account the confidence that the man shows. I think you've got to take into account the fact that he was key in the lead up to the goal that broke the deadlock. And I think you also have to think about Although Newcastle feel it was a penalty, the role he played in getting back to make sure that that didn't end up in the back of our net. Now, I've seen it again since I've come home on a couple of occasions. I've watched it back a few times. And actually, I agree with the referee. Actually, I agree with the officials because I don't think there's enough there from Nuno Tavares to warrant that being a penalty. I think that he kind of leans into the striker and gives him a bit of a bump rather than extends an arm and pushes him or rather than makes a challenge and there's a tangle of legs, etc., etc. So, yeah, for me, I think, you know, Nuno Tavares played some really kind of or, or was pivotal in some really key moments in today's game. And that's why, for me, uh, he's the man of the match. 
Moving on, let's talk a little bit about Gabriel Martinelli, because, of course, Gabriel Martinelli is somebody who has sparked a lot of debate recently because there are a lot of Arsenal fans out there who tell me constantly that Mikel Arteta doesn't like him, that Mikel Arteta doesn't want him, that Mikel Arteta doesn't feel that he is the he is part of his plans, that he doesn't want him here. Well, actually, what I thought was, was really telling today um, was that Martinelli was the one that got the nod when Bukayo Saka went off injured. Because if you looked at the Arsenal uh, team today, you know, he could have quite easily called on Nicolas Pepe. I think in a lot of people's eyes, that would have been the right option. He would have been the go-to option. Um, but the fact that he chose Martinelli probably tells you that he's been quite impressed with him recently. Probably tells you that he's enjoyed what he's seen from him, that he's happy with what he's seeing in training, in terms of his progression, in terms of his development. And he's happy with his attitude, despite him not being in the side. Because it's very easy for players to kind of grow a bit of an ego. I mean, Martinelli, when he first came to Arsenal, burst onto the scene, was incredible. People were talking about him in such high esteem. It would have been very, very easy, wouldn't it, for him to then kind of take that on as a bit of arrogance and go, well, I should be in the team and be a bit of a a bit of a baby about the fact that he's been in and out of the side and that he's played very little. Martinelli gave an interview to Arsenal after the game and he said that he, you know, whether he plays 10 minutes or 15 minutes, he's got to take those opportunities. And I've been banging on about that all season. Whenever the Martinelli conversation gets brought up to me, I keep saying, look, we're in a weird place this season. We don't have European football. We don't have um, additional games in which the fringe players would be given their game time. And so that's the difficulty that the manager faces. I mean, as a coach, you're in between a rock and a hard place with somebody like Gabriel Martinelli. Because on the one hand, you're looking at him and you're saying, this guy's got potential, but the only way he fulfills that potential is if he plays week in, week out. But on the other hand, you look at his all-round game and you think it's it's lacking a bit. You know, it's certainly not as complete as Bukayo Saka's game or Emil Smith-Rowe's game, in which case you don't drop one of those two to accommodate him. So what you've got to do is is find that that balance between developing the player and ensuring that you take him to the maximum of his potential or as close to as possible so that you benefit from him being there in the longer term. But also, you have to do what's best for the team at the time and in the short term. And what's best for the team, I believe, genuinely, is that um, is that Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka are the wide players. That's my view. That's my opinion. I think a lot of people would share that view. Can any of you put your hand on your heart and say that you'd drop either of them to accommodate Gabriel Martinelli? No. But when opportunities like today, where he got a good half an hour, present themselves, he's got to take them. And he did. And he did. And he took it brilliantly. And it was a wonderful ball over the top from Takahiro Tomiyasu. And I, in my, um, in my post-match reaction video from Emirates Stadium, I can't remember what I said, but... I, I might have called it an exquisite finish or something like that. And someone pulled me up in the comments and said, no, it wasn't. It was an easy finish. That was absolutely not an easy finish. To take a ball over your shoulder like that first time and finish it the way he did, essentially lifting it over the goalkeeper, was not easy. I would challenge any of you to go over to the park and, and have someone throw the ball over your shoulder and execute a finish like that, because it is not bloody easy at all, let alone at the speed at which the game is currently played. It's an exquisite, fantastic finish. It's a display 
of incredible technique. And I'm delighted for Martinelli because he showed what he's capable of and he showed that he can really, really um, produce when it matters. Had a couple of other moments where I thought he was a little bit wasteful with the ball when we were attacking today. But overall, you're not going to remember that. Remember. And for me, you know, when it comes to, to Gabriel Martinelli, that's what it's all about. It's about taking those opportunities when they come along. And if he keeps doing that and keeps knocking on the door, then there's no reason why Mikel Arteta won't give him more game time. I think for me, the fact that he came on ahead of um, Nicolas Pepe is quite telling about where Mikel Arteta sees the two in the pecking order at the moment. And maybe tells us a little bit about Nicolas Pepe's future or lack of at Arsenal Football Club. But yeah, those were my thoughts uh, on Martinelli. Unbelievable technique and deserves immense credit for it. Just a couple of other players that I wanted to touch on. Um, I wanted to touch on Bukayo Saka. Um, obviously scored, um, you know, the first goal. Really important goal. It's always really important to break the deadlock. I've criticised him in the past uh, for his finishing. I thought he took that chance brilliantly well. I thought he only, he could only score by keeping it low and driving it with such power the exactly the way he did so fair play to him you know it's it's something that he needs to improve on overall in his game but he seems to be um you know growing week on week you know I've talked about him looking a little bit fatigued at times and I probably wouldn't have started him today you know that was my opinion going into the game but obviously that's why Mikel Arteta knows more than me and that's why Mikel Arteta is in the dugout and I'm sitting here but you know it was just for me, it was great to see him score and great to see Martinelli score because I think they were two players that probably needed it. Um, two players who probably needed it more than most. We don't really know what the deal is with his injury at this moment in time. I don't really want to speculate on it. Mikel Arteta said that they'll they'll be scanning him. I did hear a report on TalkSport when I was driving home from the game that said that it wasn't as bad as first feared, but I don't know that. I just think it will be a massive blow to us now if we were to lose Bukayo Saka going into the fixtures that we've got coming up. So fingers crossed uh, he recovers quickly, uh, sharply and fully uh, so that we can get him back out on that right flank because he did look like the one, if anyone, was going to break Newcastle down. You know, when we were really struggling and at the start of the second half, there was a couple of moments where he showed stepovers and, and cut in field and got shots off. So, yeah, fair play to him. Uh, the other player I just want to quickly touch on before we wrap up, and I do realise that um, there's lots of you with fantastic questions in the chat. We will do the questions tomorrow, um, I promise you, just because I came straight back from the, from the game. I jumped on uh, to do my commentary. I've just finished my commentary and jumped straight back onto here and I haven't eaten my dinner yet. So uh, I'm, I'm hungry. You'll forgive me for that. I'm hungry. I'm a grown lad. That way, not that way. Uh, but yeah, uh, so we'll we'll, we'll take the questions tomorrow. And um, rather than doing the tactical analysis show, because the tactics were um, pretty much as we've come to expect from Mikel Arteta's side, I didn't see anything that particularly stood out in terms of differences or nuances. What I'd like to do tomorrow is spend our tactical analysis show looking specifically at the left-back position and looking at the differences between what Kieran Tierney brings to the side, both defensively and offensively, and compare that to what Nuno Tavares does, both defensively and offensively. So I want to do a real deep dive into that. 
and um and we can look at that that side of things because i think that's a really interesting discussion at the moment you know if you'd have told me uh you know maybe two months ago that Kieran Tierney would be displaced by Nuno Tavares and there'd be people sitting here and in this chat and they're thinking well there's no reason to drop Tavares now and bring Tierney back in the side I'd have said you're mad but such has been kind of the way he's walked into the team and, and delivered things is he perfect no far from it and there's things that I'll highlight tomorrow um on that show because I'm going to put a, a bit of love into that one so what we'll do is we'll do that we'll We'll talk about the differences between the two at left back. And then on tomorrow's show, we'll take we'll do an extended Q&A session. But I just wanted to finish off on um, on Martin Odegaard, player who's got a lot of stick, um, you know, a lot of stick. People tell me that he's not good enough. People tell me that we shouldn't have signed him. People tell me that it was a waste of money. People tell me that he's just not going to cut it in the Premier League. And I thought without being spectacular, Martin Odegaard was quite good today. I think what Martin Odegaard brings to the table is he brings a sharpness of thought. I think there were a couple of occasions in the first half in particular where he just tried to spin on the ball and then play people in like really quickly and sharply. And he didn't really, well, he didn't execute it the way he would have liked. But I think that there's a, what we've got in Martin Odegaard is something different to what we have in anybody else. I think the other thing that Martin Odegaard deserves a lot of praise for today that probably go unnoticed is his willingness to press at all times. And not only his willingness to do it himself, but his willingness to turn around and tell his teammates, get on with it. You know, what are you doing? You know, there were there were countless times, and I don't know if you could pick this out on the television, but there were countless times where Martin Odegaard would press people and he'd turn around and he'd kind of give it one of these and say to his teammates, like, come on, like, we've we got to do this as a unit. We've got to press in unison. And it wasn't happening in unison. It wasn't happening as a unit. And I actually quite like that from Martin Odegaard because Mikel Arteta's talked in the past about him having sort of leadership qualities. He is the captain of Norway. And I think I saw a bit of that today off the ball. Could he have done more on the ball? Of course he could. He wasn't great. As I say, he was he was good and effective without being spectacular is the way I would kind of say. But also when he picks up, little pockets of space, you know, he might not always get the ball, but he's creating space for other people, right? He's, he's th That's the beauty of that role. You know, it's not just about um, sort of getting the ball and making things happen immediately. We used to see Mesut Ozil do it all the time when he was at his pomp. You know, you pull into certain places, you pull people out of the way, um, you occupy people by taking up certain areas on the pitch. And that can a lot of the time be be very, very effective. Um, I can see that a couple of you asking about Aubameyang in the chat. So let's quickly touch on Aubameyang's performance today. And again, look, just like Martin Odegaard, I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was good, but I didn't think he was bad. And when I say I didn't think he was bad, I didn't think he was bad because he was, you know, obviously he made that, he missed that chance. You know, he missed that chance in the first period and you're sitting there thinking, my God, you've got to score that, Pierre. You've got to bloody score it. But what I would say is this. Even when it's not really clicking for Aubameyang and even when he's not scoring goals and even when at times it feels like he's a bit of a liability, I have been so impressed with how interested he looks to be playing for Arsenal at the moment. Because last season we were talking a lot about how he looked disinterested, how the end was nigh and how this guy was offering nothing to the team. I think he looks very interested, very engaged. 
and he's clearly one of Mikel Arteta's lieutenants out on the pitch. Could he be better? Is he as good as he was previously? Probably not. But I can't sit here and, and slag off Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang when he put in as much effort as he did today because the effort is there. And that's the basic, the standard thing that as a coach and as a fan, you demand from your players. It's not really clicking for him at the moment. He's had better days and he probably will never, uh, you know, hit the levels that he did previously. But to sit and slag him off, you know, a guy who's our captain, a guy who's clearly a leader out there, a guy who's clearly got the buy-in of the manager and got the buy-in of those players around him, I think is really, really harsh. Um, you know, I, I really, really do. And, you know, there's a we see a lot of the same arguments. You know, Bamiyang is there to score goals. Abamyang is there to do this. Abamyang is there to do that. Um, you know, he, he missed a chance, and and some people take issue with with other things, and and maybe that off the pitch stuff. Maybe I've seen some people taking an issue with like the fact that he likes his cars and things like that, which I think is nonsense to be honest with you. But I mean, you can sit there and you can say that obviously his job is to score goals, and I'd ask you this. Who has scored more goals this season than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in an Arsenal shirt? And the answer is nobody. So if you want to sit and say that he needs to score goals, he is the top goal scorer. He's got seven goals this season, which is respectable. I know, look, three of them came in the Carabao Cup, which kind of skews that stat a little bit. But he still managed to net more times than anybody else in an Arsenal shirt. And so just a little bit of respect for the captain, a little bit of respect for for Mikel Arteta, a little bit of respect for this team who have bounced back immediately from what could have been a very demoralising defeat at Anfield, taken maximum points. We go to Old Trafford on Thursday in fifth place, whatever happens over the rest of the weekend. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I don't think you can ask much more from this Arsenal side. I, I think if your expectations at the start of the season were realistic, this is about where you would have hoped us to be. And we're there. So let's not spend the weekend after a victory trying to dig out every Tom, Dick and Harry um, for their performances. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Right. We are going to leave it there. A good day at the office for Arsenal in the end. You know, it was bloody freezing. I still can't can barely feel my feet. My hands are just about starting to warm up again. I got a red nose from the bloody cold as well. I'm wearing a snood in the house, which should tell you, um, all you, or indoors at least, which should tell you all you need to know about what it's like out there. Hope it's not as bad wherever you are uh, in the world. Hope you enjoyed Arsenal's victory. Hope you enjoyed two brilliant Arsenal goals. goals. Fingers crossed we get some positive news about Bukayo Saka in the coming days and we can turn our attentions to the big one at Old Trafford on Thursday. I'll be back very, very soon. In fact, tomorrow live right here on this channel, we will be doing our tactical analysis, which will be based and focused around Nuno Tavares and Kiarantini, the differences between the two in the left-back position. And we'll be doing an extended Q&A session. I'll catch you all then. If you're listening via the audio, leave us a review. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you hit the bloody like button. In fact, Let's check out where we are on the likes. Let's set a little target because I found when I do that, you lot are a little bit more active on it. There's 76 likes on the board. There's over 200 of you watching on YouTube right now. There is no excuse as to why we should not hit 100 likes by the time the outro plays. I don't ask you to do it. 
for the sake of it. It really, really does help. And I really, really do appreciate it. Like, subscribe, share. If you want to become a member, do so. If you have emailed me to enter the competition, don't worry. I've received those emails. If you haven't entered the competition and you want to do so, check out the pin tweet on at Chronicles underscore AFC. Catch you all soon. Goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.